Well, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn on or pull it out and open it up to Philippians chapter 2. The scripture is also in our bulletins and will be on the screen. And um, I'd also like to invite you to stand if you are able for the reading of scripture this morning. Our text comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1. Paul wrote, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's tough to preach after Thanksgiving because if you think about it, it's, it's a wild week. It really is because for many people... On Tuesday or Wednesday, you are battling lines in security checkpoints at TSA, or you're trying to drive through the madness of everybody traveling at the same time just to get to Thursday when you get to be with your family that you love. And you, you get to be with your family who are blessings. You get to be with your family and be so thankful to be together. And on Friday... You're supposed to go and push everyone else out of your way in Walmart or in uh, Best Buy to go get the best deals. It's a little bit different nowadays because we can do a lot of this shopping online. But do you remember some of the videos of years past where people just went crazy over the deals? And so that's Friday. And on Saturday, it's rivalry weekend where we all become enemies again. Our next door neighbors are now the people we won't talk to. And then on Sunday, we're supposed to be Christians again, where we love our neighbors as ourselves, right? Rivalries, I know some people don't want to talk about this today, but rivalries sort of pull the most hope out of us and sometimes even the worst out of us. I remember at one of my churches, one of the most saintly men, one of the most loving, kind people on Sunday mornings. But when the Iron Bowl was a little too close, he could not be with the rest of his family because he would say things that Jesus would be ashamed of. And so he had to go downstairs to the other TV to watch that portion of the game. Rivalries 
are, are fun in some ways, aren't they? Because we get excited about them and we, we have the highs when our team wins. We have the lows. But it all comes back around the next year. But there are winners and there are losers, right? And some people who are winners like to remind you that they and their team are the winners and that you are not the winner. Rivalries do this. I remember when uh, I was a student at Duke, we were in seminary about 2001 to 2004. And in one game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, basketball team, it was Duke versus UNC. And one of our fellow seminary students named Patrick, we knew him, my wife and I were friends with him, decided that he was going to do everything he could to distract UNC. So Jackie Manuel comes up to the free throw line and he's looking at the goal. He's looking to shoot a free throw. Now, underneath the goal are all the graduate students. The undergraduate students are on the sides. But this, this was looking at the graduate students. And so you've got business school folks. We've got law school folks. And then you have us nerdy religious types, the, the seminary students, the divinity school. And one of our co Students, one of our fellow students, Patrick King, was there that day and he decided he was going to distract Jackie Manuel. He had prepared for this. So all the students in the graduate student section sat down and while that was happening, this future minister took off almost all of his clothes. He had nothing on but a blue Speedo, a Duke blue Speedo. And he began dancing and the UNC student missed both of his free throws. He became a living legend. ESPN did a highlight reel on him and even showed him preaching to his congregation in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, the strangest point of this story is that his wife at the time was actually dating his brother. And in the ESPN newsreel, she said, once I saw the Speedo, I had to make the change. I really hope that's not true. <laughs> Rivalries make us do crazy things, right? And, 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 but at the same time, what does it come down to? Winners and losers, right? And hopefully for the sport, hopefully just for the fun of it. But sometimes we know people that can take winning a little bit too far, can't we? We know people that like to gloat when there's, their team is always winning. And they like to not only be happy that their team won, but to be putting other teams down and reminding them that they are the losers. The Bible doesn't seem to really jive with that understanding. The Bible, remember, is all about God's relationship with us, leading up to himself, God coming as the son of God, Jesus Christ, into this world. Now, if you were to think about God being the Holy One, the Divine One, the One that created everything, He would obviously be the One who's successful. He is God. He is above everything. We're supposed to glorify His name. But remember in Genesis 3, this is the very beginning of Scripture, Adam and Eve. We know this story. Many of us do. They did not simply want to be in a relationship with a loving Father who cared for them and gave them this garden to live in and to be partners with him. Instead, they were tempted to bite from the fruit of the tree, 
Some people believe it was an apple. doesn't say that in Genesis. But they were tempted to eat from the fruit of the tree so that they could achieve equality with God. They wanted to be the same as God. They wanted to know the difference between good and evil. They tried to become greater in their status. And it ended up, in a sense, making them even lower. In a, in a way, they lost. In a way... They participated in the sin that we all do. And that is that we get ahead of ourselves instead of being God's people. The people that are created to be his witnesses, we go out trying to make our own way and lift ourselves up. And what the Bible says is that really that makes us lower. It makes us, in a way, losers. But God doesn't become the kind of winner who makes a big deal out of it and remind us how bad we are. In fact, what does God do? Philippians chapter 2 says the whole story. In fact, there are many scholars who really recommend that every Christian memorize at least verses 6 through 11. We call this the Christ hymn. We don't really know if Paul wrote this himself, but it's organized in such a way that it's a poem or maybe it's a creed or maybe even a song, like an early hymn that everyone else would know. It would be like the possibility of, of me in the midst of my sermon quoting Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, right? And, and so Paul, whether it's his own words or he's quote, quoting something that the church in Philippi would have known, reminds us that even though God was the winner, he did not look at us in terms of putting us down. He had pity for us. He loved us. He had grace. He wanted to lift us up. And so what did God through Jesus Christ do? He emptied himself. He didn't take his success and his, his glory it didn't go to his head. He wasn't that kind of king. He emptied himself. The Bible word in Greek is kenosis. He, he just put everything that was glorious about him aside, and he became one of us. And he didn't just become one of any of us. He didn't become the best of us. Paul tells us in the Christ hymn that he became like a slave. He became like the lowest among us. So Jesus the winner did not simply tell us that we had to get our act together. He came and joined us so that he could lift us up. And Paul goes on, or at least the Christ hymn does, in Philippians chapter 2 and says he even died a death on a cross. And what we have to know is, is that the cross at that time was a Roman form of capital punishment that was used on the lowliest of people. Or on traitors who were even worse than slaves and servants. They were only used to humiliate people and all of that. And so, again, the cross, that glorious sign of the church in Christianity, is a reminder that God did not take his holiness for granted. He wasn't the kind of king that wanted to lord over us. He was the kind of king that wanted to rescue us. And he got low, lower than us, in order to lift us up even higher. This is the good news that we hear in Philippians, that we were rescued by one immensely greater than us because he loves us. The Bible shows us that the real path to winning is through sacrifice and service. 
And the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, underscores this as it continues. As it continues, Paul mentions three different people that are examples in the way of Jesus. Jesus is the prime example. He is the one who emptied himself and got low for us. And Paul uses three real world examples of people that they would know. The very first is Timothy. You may remember that there, is, there are two letters about Timothy in the New Testament. He was one of Paul's closest friends. He was a partner in mission and ministry. And, and Paul reminds the Christians in Philippi that it was Timothy who dedicated his life to serving other people. He didn't put himself first. Timothy did not do that. He didn't take the notoriety that came with being Paul's right-hand man and let it go to his head. He was one of the first on the scene to serve and to care for other people. Paul mentions Timothy as an example in the way of Jesus of emptying himself and going to the lowliest people. Timothy is said to be one of the most humble people that you would have met in the early church. There's a second person who is mentioned in the letter to the church in Philippi, and it's somebody from the church itself, from Philippi. This, this person who is sent by the church to Paul in prison. You see, when Paul writes these words of immense hope, he's in a Roman prison and doesn't know if he is going to survive or not. He doesn't know if he's going to be released or not. And so he's drafting these beautiful, lofty, hopeful words to Christians in other places. And the prisons at this time were not places that you would ever want to be. These were terrible places. And so this person was loaded down with food and medicine and probably a lot of money to come and care for Paul. And so Paul was in this prison and this person dedicated all of his time while he was in town on behalf of the church in Philippi in order to serve Paul. And what we find out from Paul is that while this person was doing this, he himself got very sick and almost to the point of death where he was so deathly ill. And Paul was thankful that he was well enough to go home. And so Paul was sending him back with this letter to the church in Philippi. He was willing to put his own life on the line to witness and to care for Paul who was in prison. Now the third person who Paul mentions is Paul himself. We talk about this a lot, humble brag. Paul is one of those people that likes to talk about his own life, but he often is remarking on how he learned humility. Paul mentions that status was something that he had. He was, in a sense, in the Jewish world and in the Roman world, a winner. He had the rights of a Roman citizen, but he was also a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was one of the most respected persons in the Jewish community. He was someone who was an authority on what God wanted. And so he would go around telling people what they were doing right and some things that they were doing wrong. Some of you may know people like that that like to be very free with their judgment on the right and wrong that you are doing. Paul was like that. Paul, in fact, was uh, an antagonist of the early church and would round up Christians because he felt that they were wrong and that they were making God's name even worse by what they were doing. He would round them up and put them in prison. But Paul himself met Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
And when Paul did this, he gave up that status. He gave up everything related to being a Pharisee. He put it aside and went and served other people, starting church after church after church in all the places he went to. So you see, Paul takes the example of Jesus who emptied himself for our sake, and then he shows three different people that did the same for the sake of the church. And he says, this is the key to winning in our world. It is to humble yourself. It is to empty yourself, to not take yourself so seriously so that you can be the servant of the king, so that you can do what God is calling you to do. The early Christians found themselves in very difficult situations where they were being persecuted, where they were being ridiculed, and yet all along they found success, especially because they were acting in harmony with God who emptied himself. From the very beginning, the church, the early church, was known as a place that cared for the poorest and the lowliest people. We read in Acts that people, people were brought into the church and cared for, especially those who could not fend for themselves, like widows and orphans. And after that witness began going on and they saw that the church really cared about people, other people who were Jew or Greek, rich or poor, they started pouring in as well and became part of the church because it was more in harmony with God than any other type of religion that was out there. It was more in harmony with the way God wanted things to be. So the more in which we humble ourselves like King Jesus, the more that we tend to the needy, the more that we care for other people, it is a sign that we're on the right track with God. And think about this. It's woven into our very celebration of Advent and Christmas, isn't it? Jesus was born for us, we proclaim, and we'll celebrate in just a month. Jesus was born for us in the lowliest of lows. There wasn't even room for him in an inn. He was born in a stable. And he was born for us. And how do we celebrate? We celebrate with candles and carols and all these things. But what else do we do? What is another tradition that is woven into how we operate as Christians during the Advent and Christmas season? We're generous. We give gifts. Especially to those who don't have enough. These things are woven together because that's who God is. God is defined by kenosis, this idea of self-emptying. God does things for the sake of others, not for himself. And Jesus is the main example of what that looks like. The king who put everything aside for the sake of those whom God loves. The church can recapture this very heart of God every time we act generously, every time we serve, every time we give, every time we lift people up instead of holding them down. We're a part of that grand story that began so long ago and was captured so completely in Jesus. Let's not forget that in the midst of what's ahead of us, that the real success, the real power of our faith is in how much we put aside so that we can give. Let us pray. Most holy and loving God, help us 
to live as your people, as servants in your kingdom, as people sent in your name. Help us to be reminded of how much we need to set aside and how much we need to tend to those in true need. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.